chapter 1, 1 to 9. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Bear record. Bear record. Look at uh, verse 2 again. Who bear record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. In verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. These first nine verses of Revelation really stand out. Not for prophetic reasons, though. There's not a lot of prophetic teaching in these verses, but there is a whole lot of practical stuff we can apply to our lives. From verse 2 and 9, I get our title, What is what in your life bears record of Christ? What in your life bears record of the Word of God? What in your life bears a testimony of Jesus Christ? What does your life bear record of? What does your life bear record of? When you have little ones, you seem to have a well of illustrations to use. But this illustration is not about my two youngest, it is about my oldest. It is about a three-year-old version of my oldest, though. One day... We were expecting some people over to our house that have never been to our house before. I think it might have been the pastor of the church we were at. I cannot remember, but I know we were really wanting to put on a good impression to the people that were coming to our house. I was home, and my wife was not home yet. She was going to get home from work soon, but she wasn't home yet. I got home. I had our little two- or three-year-old with me, and I was trying to get the last-minute things together. Well, I realized after a few moments, he's been awful quiet for the last five, ten minutes. That's never a good sign. So I looked around the house, found him in the back bedroom, and he had taken a pencil and drawn all over the walls, as far as he could reach up, down, lines on all four walls in the bedroom. But I asked him, what did you do? Have you done something? What are you doing? What are you doing? And he's like, nothing, nothing. I didn't do anything. Did you draw with that pencil? No, I didn't draw with that pencil. But the wall bear quite a different record of the recent events in that room than his testimony did. He said, I didn't draw on the wall, but the wall bear record 
that he did. It was a the wall bear record of his last 10, 15 minutes, bear record of his sin. It, while his wall bear record, it was a visual testimony of what he had done. The wall bear record of his actions. Well, our life has a record that goes along with it. Christ is keeping a book. God is keeping a book in heaven about the actions of our life. There is a record of our life. What does that record of your life reveal? What does the record of your life say about you? What does the record of your life tell others about you? What could it tell others about you? Do you bear a good record of your life? Do you bear a record living for Christ? Or do you bear a record of living for self and living for sin? So the writer of Revelation was the Apostle John the Beloved. As you can see, he did not hesitate to bear record of the Word of God. And that got him into some trouble. He did nothing wrong, but you notice that he was in tribulation in verse 9. Meaning he was having troubles. He was being punished for bearing record of the word of God. And he was banished to the Isle of Patmos for bearing record of the word of God. Bear record. John is telling us with these two simple words that nothing in this revelation was his own imagination. Nothing of this revelation in this revelation was his own invention. But all was the record of God given to him while on the Isle of Patmos as a record and testimony of Jesus Christ. John is bearing record of Christ. He is telling others about Christ. He is saying, I am bearing record. I am testifying of what I was told. Are we doing the same thing? Are we bearing record of Christ in our life? Are we testifying what we've been told? Are we telling others of the good news, of the record that we have of Christ, that is his word? Are we bearing record of Christ with our lives? Now we can apply this to ourselves. We need to make sure that we simply bear record of what God says in his word and share and teach and preach the word of God. Are we bearing record of his word? Are we bearing record of the accurate version of his word? Are we doing this like we should? Now for the outline of this message, I was trying to, to use alliteration for all my points. That's when you have all your points start with the same letter. But I could not get the alliteration to work. I could not get it to work this time. I pulled out a thesaurus and could not get it to work. I just, it would not work. So I thought, well, I might could do an A, B, C, D, E type of thing on the outline, and I'll do it that way. That's what I ended up doing. So as we go along, you'll be able to tell how far along we are by what letter it starts with. And I promise we're not going all the way to Z. So our first point is the apocalypse of Christ. Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Revelation is translated from the Greek word apocalypse, and simply means an appearing, an enlightening, a revealing, or as we know it in the Bible, revelation. When apocalypse, or when the revelation, is in reference to a person, it means the person becomes clearly visible. So this is the revelation of Christ, or the apocalypse of Christ. All revelation comes through Christ, all revelation centers on Christ, and all revelation points people to Christ. The gospel reveals Christ at his first coming in humiliation, and revelation reveals Christ in his exaltation. Christ is the main focus of revelation. We may think prophecy is, but Christ is the main focus of Revelation. And notice God gave in verse 1. 
God gave. Christ is himself God as part of the Trinity. Yet as a mediator between God and man, he receives instruction from his Father. As a reward for Christ's perfect submission and atonement, the Father now presented him the great record of his future glory and his future exaltation. And let us to show. Understanding what these two simple words mean in this verse is one of the keys to comprehending the whole book of Revelation. These words to show mean to show by word pictures, to show by symbols, to show by direct and indirect representation. And he sent and signified it. And he sent and signified it. That is, he used symbols and word pictures to symbolize parts of this revelation. Now the Apostle Peter gave us a great rule interpreting prophecy. In 2 Peter 1.20 he said, Knowing this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. That is, you do not interpret a single text by itself. You interpret it in light of its immediate context. You interpret it in light of the greater context. You interpret it in light of its cultural historical context. You interpret it in light of its grammatical context. And then you interpret it in light of scripture as a whole. If we would keep to 2 Peter 1.20, if we keep that in mind, most false beliefs and cults would not exist. Because most are started by pulling scripture out of context. Now back to our examination of verse 1. Notice the next phrase, must shortly come to pass. The word must has an urgent necessity to it, an absolute certainty in it. And the word shortly is also translated as speedily in Luke 18.8. It means we need to be looking for it, expecting it with certainty. And when it comes, it will happen speedily. And notice the phrase, his servant John. I want you to know how John refers to himself. I want you to notice how John refers to himself. He did not say, I am the Apostle John. He did not say, I am the Prophet John. He did not say, I am the Evangelist John. He simply said, his servant John. He did not try to build himself up in any way whatsoever. He possessed great humility. Do you bear a record of living your life like you really understand and comprehend that Jesus will return soon? Does your life bear record of that urgency that we know Jesus is going to return soon? Also, does your life bear record of humbleness like the Apostle John's did? Does your life show humbleness to those that look at it? Does your life show possibly pride instead? What does your life bear record of? Our next point is Beatitude of Bible Study, Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. This blessing seems to be given to encourage believers to proactively read, proactively study, and learn from this book. We should not shy away from, from this book in our Bible study and reading. We should be digging into it, getting every nugget of truth we can from it. Believe it or not, there is much practical application of truth to our daily lives found in the book of Revelation. We just got to study it dig it out, and get it. But there's much practical application that we can get from the book of Revelation and apply to our lives if we would just study it. So this is the only book that comes with a blessing for the person who listens to it being read, listens to it being explained, and then responds in obedience to it. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Blessed. The first beatitude in the book of Revelation contains a threefold blessing from reading, hearing, 
in keeping what is written in this book. This verse contains the first seven Beatitudes found in the book of Revelation. The others are found in chapter 14, 13, chapter 16, verse 15, chapter 19, verse 9, chapter 20, verse 6, chapter 22, verse 7, and verse 14. The number seven is going to come up a lot in these nine verses, I found seven over and over and over again, the first nine verses of the book of Revelation. Now notice, time is at hand. Time in this verse refers to eras or seasons of time. The next great event of God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, and following that the tribulation time period, and that time is at hand. It's coming up. It's right around the corner. It's scheduled. It's on the calendar. We could see it. That time is at hand. The time is at hand. It's coming. It's coming soon. He's coming soon. So I'll ask you again. Do you bear record of great Bible study in your life? Does your life reflect the Bible? Can people tell you are in the book? Can people tell you're in the book by how you act? Can people tell you're in the book by how you respond to situations? Can people tell you're in the book by your attitude? Can people tell you're in the book by your outlook on life? Does your life bear record of great Bible study? See, cause and characteristics, Revelation 1-4. John, to the, here's that number again, seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. The seven churches referred to here are named in, verses, in verse 11. We're not going to look at them, but they're named in verse 11. The number seven occurs frequently throughout the Bible. It refers to completeness. It can also refer to perfection, but here it refers to completeness. Here seven is in reference to the churches and is meaning completeness. Seven speaks of what is complete and representative. This message is for the complete church of Christ as a whole throughout the ages, not just these specific seven churches, though it is for them as well. Think of a week. Seven days. A week has seven days, but if we just had six days, it would not be right. This would not be right. It would not be complete. That would not be a week. A week has seven days to be complete. Six days is not a complete week. Seven is a number of completeness. Number of representation. So let's look at some instances of the number seven in the Bible. Now, as I was studying this, I thought, well, i got to give some examples of this. I thought, well, I'll give a listing of seven examples of the number seven in the Bible. But I thought that might be going just a little bit too far. So here's our list. The Sabbath was on the seventh day. Jericho was compassed about seven times. Naaman was instructed to dip into the Jordan River seven times. In Joseph's time, there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Nebuchadnezzar was insane for seven periods of time. There are seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer, seven parables in Matthew 13, and Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. The significance of the number seven cannot be ignored in the Bible. Now let's look at grace and peace which comes from Jesus Christ. Notice in our verse, grace be unto you and peace from him. The grace and peace which comes from Jesus Christ. The word grace in this verse is written in the Greek. And the word peace is written in Hebrew. This is very significant to note. The word grace is from a Greek word that is a form of a greeting. And the word peace is from the Hebrew word shalom, the Hebrew form of greeting. So peace came from the Christ of the Hebrews, and by his grace, he extended this offering of peace 
to the Gentiles. Grace is written in Greek. Peace is written in Hebrew. Peace came from the Hebrew Christ, and he gave grace to the Gentiles, or he gave grace to the Greeks, gave grace to the Gentiles. I'd like to thank God for the grace being extended to the Gentiles. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Peace flows from grace, and grace of God is the source of all blessing today. Now notice the phrase, from him. This refers to God. God is the one which is, and which was, and which is to come. This is also repeated in verse 8. This speaks of the eternality and immutability of God, his unchangeableness, from him. Now the third member of the Trinity is also referenced here. When the verse says the seven spirits which are before his throne, this could be a reference to Isaiah's prophecy concerning the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11.2 says, And the Spirit of the truth shall rest upon him. Now I want you to see if you can count all seven references to the Holy Spirit here. Isaiah 11.2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. Or this could be referencing the seven lamps mentioned in Zechariah chapter 4, which is also a description of the Holy Spirit. There's that number seven again. Whatever the case, as you remember, seven is a number of completeness. Also, we can refer to perfection. So God is describing the fullness and completeness of the Holy Spirit and his ministry to us. Do you bear record of the Holy Spirit's ministry and influence in your life? Do you bear record you actually believe your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, how you act, with what you put into it, with what you do with it. Do you bear record that you actually believe your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Can people see the Holy Spirit guiding your decisions and your priorities? Does your life bear record of Holy Spirit guidance? What does your life bear record of? Now D, descriptions of Christ. And guess what? There are also seven descriptions of Christ. Revelation 1, 5-6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Christ was from eternity a witness to all the counsels of God. When I read these two verses, I immediately think of John 1.18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now let's briefly look at each description of Christ. Number one, faithful witness. And Jesus is the only trustworthy witness to the facts laid out in this book. The facts are about him. He testifies of himself. It can be difficult to believe other people, but you can always believe and trust in Christ. Other people may be, may be difficult to believe because you don't see that record of Jesus in your life. But Jesus, you can always believe and trust. In Christ, we have a faithful witness, one we can always trust, one we can always rely on. We can trust every promise he has made. We can trust the book from cover to cover because of Christ. Does your life bear record of you being a faithful witness? Can people believe what you say? Do you bear record of being honest? And straightforward 
in your conversations, honest and straightforward in how you conduct yourself? Does your life bear record of you being a faithful witness? And number two, first begotten of the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead, the first to rise from the dead and never die again. He's the only one to come back from the dead in a glorified body. No one else has gone that route yet. But thank God, his own, his kin, Christians, us, are going to follow him on this route. One day, if we are saved, we are all going to get a glorified body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14-17 For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Coming soon, coming soon, he's coming soon. Get ready, he's coming soon. And number three, the prince or ruler of the kings of the earth. This is in reference to his ultimate position during the millennium. Philippians 2, 9-11 Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And number four, unto him that loved us. This is actually, in the Greek, written in the present tense, and emphasizes his constant, eternally continuing attitude of love towards us. He loved us yesterday, he loved us today, and he will love us for all the tomorrows to come. He eternally, continually loves us. Number five, washed us from our sins in his own blood. The blood of Christ is vitally important. It is not just a symbol. In the Old Testament, God taught his people that the life of the flesh is in the blood, Leviticus 17.11. When Christ shed his own blood, he gave all of it for you and for me. He gave his life for us. He died so he did not have to. He made a way of redemption through the shedding of his own blood. He paid the price of sin for us. We just have to accept this payment on our behalf. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what makes 1 John 1.9 work? The blood of Christ. Jesus washed us from our sins in his own blood. Quite a mental picture to meditate on. Jesus washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's something to dwell on, meditate on for a while. And number six, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, or a kingdom of priests unto God his Father. Believers are never referred to as kings. Rather, he made us a kingdom of priests, and we are going to rule with the Lord Jesus Christ during his millennial reign here on earth. And number seven, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him be the glory and the dominion unto the ages. Jesus Christ is both the subject and the object of this book. The following are not my words, but I loved how this was written, so I had to include this. Here it starts. He is the mover of all events, and all events move towards him. The universe and all there is exists for him. We exist for him. You exist for him. 
So why don't we make sure our relationship with him is right then? Why don't we make sure any needed decisions that need to be made are made for him? Do you bear record of Jesus Christ being your Savior? Do you bear record of reflection of him in your life? Do you bear record of living your life for him? Do you bear record of being washed in the blood of the Lamb? What does your life currently bear record of? Now, point number E, expected and assured coming of Christ. The expected and assured coming of Christ. Revelation 1.7 Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. The book of Revelation begins and ends with the prediction of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 22.20 tells us, he which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I come quickly. Be ready. He's coming. He's coming. The rapture is coming. I come quickly. The Lord is coming. He cometh in the clouds. This reminds us of the promise found in Daniel 7.13. I saw in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. These will not be ordinary clouds, but clouds of glory. In the Old Testament, God will manifest himself in an energized, blazing light called the Shekinah. No one could see it fully and live, Exodus 33:20. But when Christ returns, his glory will be completely visible for the whole world to see. Matthew chapter 24, 29-30 Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall not fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Notice also it says, They also who pierced him. Zechariah identifies for us the ones who pierced him in Zechariah 12.10 as the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It is said they shall weep tears of genuine repentance, because of what they did to their Messiah. Now when confronted with your own sin, what do we do? Do we genuinely repent of our sin? Do we feel sorry for our sin? Do we feel sorry because it is wrong? Or because we got caught and confronted with that sin? When the Lord identifies sin in our life, are we turning from it and turning back to the Lord? Or are we continuing in that sin? When confronted with your own sin, how do you react? Do you react like these people described in Zechariah 12.10 where they weep tears of genuine repentance because of what they did? Or do you try to cover it up, blow it off? Don't care much about it. It is what it is. How do you react when confronted with your own sin? How, what does your life bear record of how you react when you're confronted with your own sin? Next, all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. These, on the other hand, will not wail or cry out because of genuine repentance, but they will cry out because they fear the punishment of their sin. This is how we can sometimes be. We cry out or are emotional over sin, not because we actually feel sorry for doing the sin, but because we feel sorry for ourselves for getting caught doing the sin. Now again, when you have young children in the house, it's just full of illustrations. This I can illustrate beautifully. They will, these people will wail out not because of genuine repentance, but because they got caught and they fear the punishment of their sin. When you have 
little ones in the house, a lot of the time when you catch them doing something wrong, they will cry, they will wail out with tears. Lots of tears, crocodile tears, cry and wail out. Not because they're sorry for doing it, because they've done it five times already. Not because they're sorry for doing it, they're sorry they got caught and they fear the punishment for their sin. They're not sorry for their sin, they just fear the punishment of their sin. Now is this you? Do you wail out or do you cry out out of a genuine repentance or just because you got caught? Are you sorry for your sin? Are you sorry for getting caught and crying because you know a repercussion is coming, but you're not crying because you're repentant of that sin and sorry for that sin? Do you bear record of having a genuine repentive attitude towards sin in your life? Or do you bear record of just being sorry for getting caught in your sin? What kind of record do you bear about repentance and sin in your life? Point number F, fully eternal, immutable Christ. Revelation 1.8 I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. The first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. Jesus is the beginning and the end. All things are from him. All things are for him. He is the Almighty, the Eternal, the Unchangeable One. Think about this statement Jesus made in verse 8. The Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. From the alphabet you make words. And Jesus is called the Word of God. The full revelation and intelligent communication of God. Jesus is the only alphabet you can use to reach God. By no other name can you reach God. No other name will get you saved but by Jesus. Christ is the beginning of all things. Our beginning is already spelled out for us. It has already occurred. It is already completed. But our end is yet to be. Our end is not completely spelled out yet. But one day Jesus will finish the end. One day all that has needed to happen will have happened, will have occurred. One day all will be completed. One day the Omega will be fully written out. One day the record of our life will be finished. When your record is finished, what will the end of your life bear record of? Will bear a record of one of service to the Lord? Will be a record of one of service to self? When your record is finished, when it's done, when the Omega is complete, when the last period is put on your record, on the record of your life in heaven, when the last dot is put in the last sentence, will it show a record, will it bear a record of a life of service to the Lord, or will it bear a record of a life of service to self? Now, none of the ends of our life is written yet, though. There is hope. None of our life's ends are written yet. Our life is incomplete. We know our end is coming. We have a symbol of that end, but it is not complete. It has not happened. Now, will the rest of your life be a life lived for Christ? Or will the rest of your life be a life lived for self? What will your life bear record of when that last period is put on your record? Will it be all about you? Will it be full of sin? Or will it be all about Christ? Will it be all about doing Christ's work? Our end is not finished. Yes, we know our end will come. We know one day our end will be complete. But our ends have not occurred yet. The end of our life, the omega of our life, is still just a symbol of it. It has not happened yet. 
Think of it this way. Our beginning can be spelled out. We know our birthday. We know our beginning. We know we have lived. We know the good and the bad. But we do not know how the rest of our life from this point on will be. We do not know how our the end of our life will be. We do not know how that final record of our life will be. There is one thing we can know for sure about our end, though. We can know where we will end up. We can know for sure our final address will be heaven. We can know for sure that that is the most important thing we should know for sure is where our final end for our final address will be. You need to make sure your final address is heaven. If you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, if you have not accepted this free gift of salvation, why not do so today? We need to admit our shortcomings. We need to admit we need Christ. We need to accept what he has done for us on the cross and paying our sin debt by dying and shedding his own blood for us. How does 1 John 1, 9 work? By the blood. And accept that free gift of salvation and call on him to save us. And he will wash our sins from us with his own blood. Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you are saved, maybe your life does not bear a good record of Christ right now. But your life's record does not have to stay that way. It does not have to be a bad ending. If you are living wrong, if you have unrepented sin in your life, if you are content living in your pet sins, you can make a change. Your end does not have to mirror your beginning. You can turn from those things and turn to Christ. You can make your ending one that bears a record of a life lived right for Christ. Your beginning is written already. It is history. All we can do is learn from it at this point. But your ending is not written out yet. You can make changes in your life. You can repent of sins. There is time to get things right, things right with you and the Lord. There is time to make those decisions for Christ. There is time to turn those bad habits and lifestyles around. With the gracious help of our Savior, you still have time to make sure your life bears record of a happy ending testified by your dedication to Christ. When all is said and done, let the record of heaven show. When the book of our life is opened, let it be said that our life bear record of Christ. Live your life so you have a testimony of life spent for the Master. Let those that look back on your life find and be able to say that you finished well for Christ and that your life bear record of Jesus. Thank you.